welcome to the Flywheel Pod, where we cover all things Frax Finance. And in today's episode, man, Dave and I had the privilege oh my goodness. of talking, <laughs> of the privilege to be in the presence of one, Sam K from Frax Finance itself, and also Robert Sam, aka the godfather of Senora Share Stablecoins, Algo Stablecoins. Dave, how was the episode? I'm speechless. Like, I'm still trying to process everything. Um, I'm like super humbled and grateful that like, you know, that Robert decided to come on and like, we feel really lucky to get like, literally like the uh, godfather, the intellectual godfather of Algo Stables and automated stablecoins with quite arguably the best in real world implementation of that idea. And just hearing them go like back and forth, um, you know, asking each other questions, it was all super organic. Um, you can tell, like, I think my favorite thing about the episode, like, you know, at the, be- you know, at, at the beginning, like we set the stage, we set the foundation. Um, and I have to like prepare the viewers. This is very deep. This is like very, very like, you know, rich in, um, in content. Um, but they set the foundation there. And like, once they set that foundation, like they've literally built like the most beautiful sculpture um honestly Agreed. like Agreed. and they each they each guy you can hear it in their voice they each got more and more and more excited and it was just like it was really really special to watch um i'm just like Dude. i'm just so happy like this is like one for the history books and we were like Dude. we helped bring it yes. together and like we we're a part of it dude and I, and I i love how they always went back to first principles right nothing yeah. is assumed and it, they literally iterated from, from, from that foundation, which made it like, you know, such a rich and robust conversation on, on both ends. And it was, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> like this is, is, that this is one for the books. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is going to be, you know, definitely one for the books. And I cannot wait for you guys to actually listen in on this. And once again, you can follow us on at Flywheel Pod on Telegram and Twitter. And if you go to YouTube, you can find us at Flywheel Pod. Make sure you smash that subscribe button and please share this episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Flywheel. Today we have a very special episode. Um, I've, like When I heard about this episode today like that we were doing, I was like, wow, this is like pretty monumental. Um, we literally have the uh, godfather of algorithmic stablecoins, Robert Sam. And then we have uh, one of the most uh, successful implementations in the real world of that paper, Sam Kazemian, the founder of Fraxon. So this is going to be a, a really special episode, and uh, we'll just get into it. Um, how's everyone doing today? Great. Yep. Awesome. Cool. I'm super excited for this one. This is going to be one for the books. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, let's get into it. So, um, Robert, I'm going to start with you. Um, your paper, uh, when you first wrote it in 2014, it was a, a lifetime ago <laughs> in crypto time. Um, literally, it was just all like Bitcoin was it. It was all proof of work. There was no proof of stake. Um, Curve didn't exist. DeFi wasn't even a word. Um, and like, did you think that your idea would lead to like such experimentation with different, you know, different stable coins? And also leads to so much creation of and destruction of value so quickly <laughs> in each experiment. <laughs> yeah, no, um, no. So, um, so I didn't, or at least I didn't think it would kind of uh, um, go the way that it did um, in terms of the the variety of uh, of different um, you know protocols. Uh, and 
and the context is really important because like like you said like in 2014 you know kind of put your mind back to what things were like back then you know we we're still like debating the nothing at stake problem you know <laughs> um and and the underlying assumption like um that was being made not that like you know, like i thought proof of work was uh, the end state at all but like that was that was an assumption that was widely held so it was like you know um <clears throat> future state where you know, there's, you know, half a dozen, you know, proof of work, you know, blockchains um, and, you know, there's no DeFi, uh, you know, primary use case payments, you know, like that, that was that was like the like the the underlying set of background assumptions, um, you know, when I when I wrote the paper and like, I, you know, I, I did kind of like and the paper itself wasn't like meant to be protocol specification or something it was it was more of like <laughs> like a like a um you know a, a thought experiment of how to solve a couple of problems um uh which which i thought um you know shed some you know some insight into like how um the very small community at the time that was thinking about this stuff um and some of the problems that we were we were working on um at, at the time so i i think um i i did think the um the idea of a decentralized um uh, let's crypto asset stabilization um, was something that was going to take off. Um, uh, um, but I, I thought a lot more research would take place before, um, uh, before <laughs> the production. Uh, and uh, so I, I certainly didn't anticipate the, uh, uh, the proliferation of um, the different projects and, um, and, and all the different things that were, um, were, were, were tried and, and some have been successful and others, others haven't. Yeah, um, Sam, then actually, I have a question for you to follow up on that. So when you first read Robert Sam's paper, or when you read it a few times, Robert said it was a thought experiment, more than an actual like protocol specification. So like, how did you take his idea from paper and make it into an actual protocol? Yeah, so I kind of want to set the stage here, because I, uh, I think whenever people, you know, ask me to speak, or I am on like either a panel or, or something, um, I actually kind of refer to this, the signer and shares paper as kind of the, the, the Bitcoin white paper of stable coins. And I, I really, I really like it. I've read it uh, a, a bunch of times. I think it's, uh, had a lot of both impact as, as well as, you know, just overall, it's, it's really well written. Um, and like, like Robert said, this was in 2014, I got into crypto right around there, actually 2013, 2014, I was uh, mining proof of work coins, uh, at my college dorm in like UCLA back then. I, there was like, like Dogecoin had just came out. It was like the script, uh, proof of work mining boom and, and stuff. Ethereum wasn't even really, uh, an, an idea even yet. Like it was about to be proposed and, and like there was stuff like counterparty and colored coins, um, which I'm sure, uh, Robert remembers and, and it's probably, uh, a lot of, uh, OGs remember, but it's, you know, past a lot of the newer, uh, people that have come in, in like the ICO cycle. But I want to kind of set the stage because as kind of, I kind of build myself as like a, a stable coin historian as well. If you're going to build something that's really moves the space forward, you have to understand what, uh, came before you both in terms of thought and, and also in terms of, uh, execution and, the, the thing here is that I find really important about the original, you know, Sino Shares paper is like it 
basically was the first time uh, really in a well-written paper talked about stabilizing the purchasing power of a crypto asset uh, on chain. And, and if, if you guys have, have, have read it, you know, extensively, like, like I, I have, obviously Robert is the one that knows the, the most about it out of anyone in the world. Um, a lot of it talks about uh, actually like proof of work oracles and like if you can even stabilize something based on uh, the, the hash rate or the electrical cost, it actually is a very thorough paper. And, and it goes through and starts out as saying something like, you know, um, if you have a blockchain where one of the assets have to be stable and also non-custodial and decentralized, right? Like like a Bitcoin-like asset, how would you go about and, and do it? And it's very methodical, right? It first talks about, okay, what if you just have these two wallets and, you know, you deposit uh, this this stable coin or, you know, it's called, just called coin uh, and and then it's a savings wallet and then you can move between them and the savers get the price stability and then you can move it to, you know, uh, this other wallet that you get uh, exposure to, you know, the price, uh, the supply changes, right? And then he clearly exemplifies what's wrong with that. If you can move at parity at lightning speed between these two wallets, you're basically not doing anything. It's almost similar to Ampleforth, right? Which is like, you don't actually create monetary policy, right? Which is like the Hayek money uh, example. And then he finally proposes the, you know, kind of finalized design to explore, which is you need two tokens. You need a coin, which is a stable coin, and you need another token that he calls shares. And, and then he like highlights, well, if you hold the shares, you expect it to be volatile because it's kind of this thing that you get the, the future signage in, in some mechanism. And, and then if you hold the, the coin, which is supposed to be stable, you uh, get the stability of, of the system and, and you shouldn't expect as much price movement. And it's a very well-written paper. And for, for people that haven't uh, read it, that you know will listen to this, I, I highly recommend you read a, a piece of uh, crypto history. Now... The thing is, I've studied pretty much every single stable coin uh, that you can probably think of that has any kind of significance. The Dan Larimer stuff originally with like BitShares, BitUSD, the new bit stuff that came out there. Uh, Basis, right? The three token system that they proposed and, and didn't launch originally, like the shares and the bonds kind of thing. Right. And then, you know, then it was implemented as like an Anon, you know, project. And I've studied all of these things. And I think um, there's there's a lot to be said about the evolution of thought in the space when it comes to uh, stabilizing crypto assets and, and the stable coin industry as a whole, I always say, is like the third trillion dollar narrative in crypto because it it really is. The, the last kind of trillion dollar addressable market, the first two being Bitcoin as like the, the first digital scarce asset, the second being kind of what Ethereum represents as like the, the world shared state, you know, ledger for executing, you know, arbitrary code and, and, and things like that, settling shared state. And then stable coins, which are basically uh, non-custodial or, you know, quasi non-custodial, depending on the design and the fiat reserves and stuff. Um, and this is what always uh, 
made me really passionate about crypto. I really wanted to build something in the space that had as much of Bitcoin's ethos of, of bearer asset, non-custodial, while having on-chain uh, price stability, on-chain you know market operations and, and things like that. And that kind of led me to you know designing Frax and, and iterating uh, it out with with the you know core team and everything. But just to set the stage, I wanted to explain this here because it's it's really important to highlight the kind of evolution of, of the space. So yeah. Cool. Wow. That's a, that, that, that's, <laughs> that's a great way to say the stage, Sam. It's really good. That, the stage has right. been set. The foundation has been laid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sam, I remember like when we were living together, you like reading about the reading or the white paper that Robert wrote and watching all the Robert Schiller videos and everything just to get like a foundation, like even back then. And like, it's just like really full circle and cool to see like where we all now. Um, Kit, how are you doing? How are you feeling about all this? Dude, I, I feel like I'm just soaking in all this stable coin royalty right now. <laughs> just, I'm just feeling this regal power coming from the both of them. And, you know, I, I, I love to, you know, hear from, um, like Robert here, like, you know, back then you wrote this on paper and then now you see all of these experimentation on chain. Does it make you feel a little happy or like, are, are you satisfied to see like what you wrote actually materialize and somebody is actually experimenting on chain or would you rather prefer more research and more kind of like paper rather than protocol? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm certainly happy to see the experimentation. Um, uh, I, I don't take any credit for it because like there's a lot of, uh, I mean, like mostly independent thinking in all of these projects. Um, uh, and I think, um, and there are a lot of, a, a lot of novel or not a lot, but like, uh, like few key kind of novel ideas, um, I've never thought of, um, that, that, um, you know, that, that came out of these experiments. So, so I've learned a lot by watching, um, by watching them. And I, and I, and I, I take like one of the frustrating things about like doing something like, you know, um, thinking about the stuff and writing, you know, uh, um, you know, for the first stab attempt at like defining the pro you know a problem clearly in something that you couldn't really test then um, uh, um, it's, it's quite frustrating um, and uh, I'm a pretty empirically minded person you know so so to be able to like you know to to look at the um, you know the the real world ex you know experience with this stuff so far has been amazing you know, like uh, I've I've learned a ton from it and and continue to do so. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah uh, certainly happy to see uh, see how it's evolved. Unhappy with a lot of the things that evolved too. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, you mentioned yeah you mentioned that um you know that with all the experimentation there are things that you know you haven't thought of and like and you didn't write about um, that actually played out in real life. So like, what are some of those things that you saw from like different stable coins, whether it was Frax or other ones? Yeah. So I mean, I think with the um, like this CDP based model, you know, it started with Dai, um, uh, which I was really skeptical of um, initially, and, and I and I still kind of skeptical of it. For um, uh, I think there's some kind of risk scenarios with it that um, that uh, uh, haven't haven't been explored enough. But um, but I, I think the um, uh, getting to understand how um, the CDP based model can um, 
can can work, I think is um, uh, has has been really interesting. Um, uh, been very interested to see like the sort of second generation of CDP based systems, um, uh, particularly Rye, um, and the uh, um, like the use of uh, of uh, PI control in uh, um, in stablecoin designs, which is so, which is something that. I mean, I didn't really describe it this way, but it's sort of implicit in the like the way I, I, I saw the like senior shares mechanism working uh, it's based on like PI control thinking in terms of the auctioning of you know of supply, um, and uh, um, that's been like super interesting. Um, and uh, and with Frax, um, like like to kind of like generalize the um, idea to um, you know something of a it's not really a synthesis of the CDP model and Sandridge model. It's different. Um, uh, but, you know, but to see how something that on the surface of it um, looks quite complex. Um, but when you dig into like how like Frax has been designed, it's sort of a quite elegant model. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's um, like it solves a, a, a pretty key problem in decentralized stablecoins, which is like, you know, the um, how do you how do you keep a collateral you know, how can the collateral backing grow with um, you know the you know the demand for the demand for the coin, um, and uh, um, and there are a number of other things too that are like a bit more techie and and um, nuanced. But like but um, but but those those are some of the some of the key things. Yeah, I wanted to um, following up on that, uh, Sam. So like when you started Frax, it was actually looked very different than the Frax that is today and Frax that you plan to build in the future. So I'm wondering um, how, like, what was the process of deciding, like, what to change in the Frax protocol and how, and like, what inspirations did you take? And like, how did you make those changes? Yeah, and I think this is actually really important for uh, people probably listening because there's kind of this philosophical battle uh, between like the, the views for, for algo stable coins and and like Robert was saying, CDP-based uh, debt ones. So the main thing for uh, everyone that isn't familiar with, with Frax is that when we were designing Frax, we thought, look, the Signer shares uh, model is really smart and clever, except uh, it looks like a bank without a balance sheet, right? It, it looks like basically uh, a central bank or, or just a bank, whatever, with, without any exogenous assets. And in traditional finance, you don't do something like that, right? You don't, you don't issue liabilities or basically short-term liabilities on on-demand deposits uh, without any uh, exogenous assets and say, hey, with equity, uh, essentially, uh, for like the, the future growth or, or, you know, speculative outcome of the system, uh, we will try to, you know, make all the, you know, liabilities whole on, on like redemption or something like that, right? And th this is also, I think, still currently one of the the main, you know, orthodox arguments against algorithmic stablecoins. And when we designed Frax firstly in 2019, what I thought as kind of the the key point here is like if the signer shares model or any of it has some merit, which I obviously think it does, it needs to basically be a mixture of a dynamic system where the stablecoin has a balance sheet 
And the balance sheet of exogenous assets is dynamically changing between a hybrid model of being stabilized by the exchange rate, right? The, the, the shares component and uh, just being fully backed with with assets, whether they're debts, whether they're other stable coins, whether they're, you know, Ethereum or volatile ones or, or whatever, there needs to be some collateral ratio target uh, as well so that the ratio of liabilities to hard assets is something that can be adjusted to bring market confidence to the system. So like, for example, you can see the FRAX historical collateral ratio. Right now, it's actually quite high. It's almost 90%. It's like 89.75. It's went as low as 82, which is still pretty high and fairly you know, collateralized, actually uh, similar to, to DAI uh, than, than it was ever to Terra and, and UST. But the idea here is you can have some algorithmic component, aka a component where it does not have hard assets, but that the exchange rate is basically stabilized by uh, changing the supply, right? Having some part of the supply of the stablecoin change by uh, the the signage or the governance token uh, of, of the system. Now, I think this is still the main crux of it. And I'm really interested to hear what uh, Robert has to say, because I think in 2014, when you know he wrote this and, and stable coins were not even a term, basically, right? And, and like Tether had, had basically barely even come out. I think people in crypto were not thinking in orthodox financial terms, right? Back then, like he was saying, everything was uh, proof of work coins. We didn't even know, you know, back then people said Bitcoin was going to be a payment system. Now the narrative has entirely changed to digital scarcity, digital gold. And, and like, you know, back then I remember people like, you're going to be able to pay with, uh, your coffee with, with Bitcoin, literally to the, the coffee baristas, like literal Bitcoin address. No one even bothers saying any of this stuff, right? It's, it's either, you know, it's going to have to be through apps or lightning or whatever, or some scalability, uh, solution. But now that about, we've progressed as an industry, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and like right. now that we've progressed through the industry and, and like the stablecoin, uh, you know, uh, industry is very sophisticated. There's uh, both traditional orthodox views as well as, you know, different kinds of, you know, schools of thought. I'm curious to to know w- what Robert thinks about the the kind of traditional financial criticism of the the signer shares model, which is just like this, this looks like a bank uh, without a balance sheet, right? Mm-hmm. And so how would something like this uh, ever work, right? That That's the main criticism of, of the, the design. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, and this is a good criticism, I think, I mean, like, I, I like, so one of the parts of like the idea behind senior shares, which actually gave the name of it, you know, was that like the there's like an argument for why the volatile coin would have value, <clears throat> you know, based on uh, like net present value of um, of uh, like demand growth, basically for the, in this for the demand growth in the stable coin, and like like okay, that like um, that could be the case, um, you know, under certain conditions. Um, it was like like less unreasonable of an assumption given the sort of background context in which the time the thing was, you know, written. Um, like, if, like, if you're talking about like Bitcoin being like a, uh, a, a payments rail, 
you know, um, like like a, like a payments coin, which people were at, at that time. Um, uh, like the idea of, uh, you know, a two token, you know, scheme um, uh, also being that and being better than that. And, uh, um, you know, and, and capturing like um, serious network effects is there, there wouldn't be much competition in, in, a, in a world where you only had proof of work chains. Um, then, uh, yeah, you, it, it could work. Um, it could even work more likely to work if the thing that your state, like the stabilization index is like designed to lose value over time. So like, it's like inflationary, like it doesn't hold purchasing power, um, uh, you know, much like a fiat currency does. Um, uh, but like, you can do a lot better than that. Right? Um, and, and so I was pretty, like, actually quite skeptical of the idea of like the, like the Sainage piece being a good form of, uh, of collateral, um, uh, um, you know, like shortly after I wrote the paper and I kind of talked about it in some, some public <laughs> talks after, but I think the, um, uh, you know, but so that's kind of one part of it. Um, but there are multiple ways though, like, like the other dimension of the way the mechanism worked is this kind of two token model where, you know, the supply of one, you know, expands versus burning the other and vice versa. Um, and like, like you, like the, um, the volatile coin doesn't necessarily have to be derive its value from Sainuridge. The, the volatile coin could derive its value from something else like transaction fees. Um, and, uh, you know, it would be like a, like a velocity coin, <laughs> the Sainuridge coin. And like, um, and, and that idea um, was a lot more plausible um, and much more plausible, you know, in a proof of work, uh, assuming it's kind of a layer one coin, like in a proof of work system or, or a layer two coin where the, um, the coin can capture some transaction fee value. Um, uh, that like that that seems like um, you know like that seemed to me like more more plausible. Um, but the idea that like Sainuridge on its own um, uh, is is uh, adequate. I don't think is sufficient um, source of value for um, uh, you know for for the collateral. So I think there's like there's a lot of like in that what Sam asked in terms of like that kind of traditional world criticism. I think. Um, I think when you break it, when you break it into its components, there are actually different aspects to the criticism. Like, I think there's one, is Sainuridge like a, um, a good argument for why that, that coin's going to retain the value which it needs to in order to absorb, you know, um, coin contractions. So that's kind of one criticism. I think, yeah, under certain conditions, yes. Um, uh, it, um, but under certain other, other conditions, like, like the way the space has evolved, no. Um, uh, but there's like, there's also something that I hear a lot of, which is like, um, there's something wrong with the fact that the, the collateral backing the coin is like endogenous to the stable coin protocol. Um, uh, like as if having some coin that's not part of the stable coin protocol magically gives it more value. Um, and, and, and that, that criticism, I like, I don't really see the merits of. Like, yeah, like, yes, like a, like a collateral that's endogenous to the stablecoin protocol um, uh, um, is uh, got characteristics that exogenous collateral doesn't have and vice versa. But the trade-offs, you know, like, like, like one's not better than the other. It depends on what, you know, the system's designed to do and, uh, and the assumptions you're willing to make. Um, uh, um, so that, so that criticism that I've heard a lot of, um, uh, I, I don't don't really think holds. Um, but, but overall, um, 
uh, when we kind of step back from those like two aspects and just like look at the um, you know financial view of the space, um, a skeptical view of the space. And I think there is, um, I think a lot of it is, is driven by an underappreciation, even within my old industry of like how money and credit really works. <laughs> and, the, um, and, and there is like, like ultimately um, fiat currency um, and uh, you know, the, the central bank and the banking system that, that give rise to it is a network effect. And, you know, and there was like, um, uh, so, so like, like, like if uh, you can kind of tell the story this way about like fiat currency and central bank and people say, well, well, you know, like, you know, the dollar, like, that's, that's, that's backed, right? Like, well, like, like central bank dollars, yes, that's, that's backed by, you know, government bonds, um, you know, which is like really safe asset class. And if you ask a question like, well, why is that a really safe asset class? Well, it's a really safe asset class because the government won't default on it because if, more rational for the government to print money to pay back the debt and default on it. So it's not like like circularity to like to like what um, gives the, um, the the sort of most risk-free form of money in the economy that character. Um, uh, and um, you know, of course, like the private sector can't emulate that in the same way that the public sector is. But it shouldn't allow us to adopt these mental models. Like there's this kind of like form of money that's like real kind of like gold um uh, and uh, and then there are these kind of you know like wacky credit you know things um and um because the whole system is a kind of a wacky credit thing it's amazing it works um and the um uh, and that's just central bank money commercial bank money which is most of the money supply is backed by what the whatever crap the, the, the commercial banks have on their balance sheets, backed by loans and, and, and uh, mortgages and other things like that. So, um, uh, like, so, when, so I, I think that even within the financial industry, there's, there's a lot of complacency with respect to uh, the underlying source of value in the monetary order that we currently have. Um, but that's a bit of a tirade. <laughs> but the, uh, I think the... Uh, probably the more informative answer to your question are those 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 two those two aspects of the criticism that uh, um, that I've heard a lot of. But I'm curious to know what uh, yeah. what, what Sam thinks. That's uh, that's really right on and well said on on basically all counts. And I I think I agree with pretty much everything you're saying. I what I would say though is it's interesting that you know the the way to think about. Uh, crypto and, and value is uh, is there's this battle between classical and orthodox financial way to think about it, right? Is, is running a stablecoin protocol like running a bank, but just, you know, automated and, and using smart contracts and, and digital assets um, on chain? Or is there some new, you know, phenomenological like thing of a value here that that like you're you're doing by creating this this new paradigm i i think that so far um there's there's something to be said about the way that traditional financial you know laws and uh, like like macroeconomic laws not not literally government laws uh just economical 
laws have like played out. I almost see uh, economical laws as kind of like laws of physics that like they, they'll they'll play out the way uh, in in like a, a free market, right? And the the thing here is, it appears that a lot of stable coins that actually work so far are modeled like banks, right? And, and, and so far. And the interesting thing, though, is some blockchain uh, things are not like banks or, or businesses. Like Robert says, for example, if you look at Bitcoin and you just look at the Bitcoin network as a whole, right? And you and you try to analyze the Bitcoin network as a as a business, right? What are what is the equity component? Like, is it? I guess the closest thing would be like the bitcoins themselves, but they don't ever have a right to transaction fees, right? Like, Bitcoin is proof of work, right? They they don't get you anything. In fact, Bitcoin is uh, the network is diluting itself, you know, of of coins, right? And and uh, the quote quote cl- shareholders or the closest thing to them, the Bitcoin holders, they don't ever get the revenue from transaction fees, right? And so if you do this orthodox analysis of a lot of stuff in in the crypto space, things that people would not say are, you know, scams or Ponzi's or unsustainable things, they also just look bad, right? Bitcoin, if you look at it from the orthodox view of business, it's probably the worst business conceived in the history of mankind, right? It's it's emitting like billions of dollars of, of value per year, right? And it will continue to do so it will not capture any uh, revenue for its quote, quote, shareholders, if you could even call it that. And if you even say there are no shareholders, then even worse, right? Then when, what, is, what is the value that the, the Bitcoin network is capturing? It's almost like you cannot actually model this like a corporation, a firm or, or a bank or any kind of traditional financial activity. So therefore, you either have to say Bitcoin's going to zero because there's no other way that it can capture value, which seems uh, crazy because I don't think Bitcoin's going to zero, right? And and uh, I think, like I said, it's a it's a trillion dollar uh, you know market of of the industry, or you have to admit there are new you know phenomenological ways to create things of value through you know network machines that are uh, automating a certain kind of processes. So. I would I would agree with a lot of what Robert said. Yeah, it's an interesting interesting way to put it, Sam. I, I mean, I think like I think um, one thing I though I, I I do wonder though is like like is it actually new? Like like I, I like I can like the idea that like Bitcoin has value in the same way that um, you know gold has value. I'm not making this argument, but a lot of people make it. Um, you know, isn't um, you know it, it isn't isn't as stupid argument and it's not one that's that's necessarily like um new either like like it's like the you know the idea of well if if if, if the if, if bitcoins have the like certain characteristics that make them a like a useful store value and a useful medium of exchange um like gold throughout its history you know has um has had for um you know for international international trade and the kind of basis of the gold standards got this this metal and it's like it's got these characteristics people use and then it, and then it derives its value because it's monetized you know that, that the people use it as a store of value in a media exchange you know that that has like an additional value um, above and beyond any intrinsic utility that it would have for industry you know jewelry and so on and it's like, like you'd say, well, Bitcoin's kind of like that. Um, 
it just doesn't doesn't have the the residual value of <laughs> like jewelry and stuff. So like it's it's purely monetized you know monetized value. And then the then the question just really hinges upon um, does it have the characteristics to you know uh, of of something that 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 has like mo like monet monetary value. Um, and that's uh, open to debate. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and what's really interesting that I also want to highlight that, that you're saying is like, you know, looking at things in, in this historical lens and also trying to document crypto history, you can see the, the path, the different path that Bitcoin and Ethereum are taking in the sense that it's pretty clear how you can uh build a case for Ethereum as a network, as an orthodox traditional financial business, right? The product is block space and execution, right? EIP-1559 is essentially an automated share buyback and burn, right? The revenue comes partially in the form of fees. Some of it goes to validators, whether, you know, it's currently proof of work miners or later it'll be proof of stake, whatever. But then some of it is captured by the, the ETH token holders through these burns that are essentially distributing value back. And then the product or the thing of value is the block space and, and, the, yeah. and the shared state of, of code execution. So that has a very orthodox view and everyone understands that. Whereas Bitcoin, uh, you know, depending on where your philosophical leanings lie, either has no answer to that and, and like you're, you're bearish on it or you're very philosophically bullish on, on what it is as a commodity. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and, and especially, I mean, the Ethereum case is like, yeah, yeah you can definitely apply um, very orthodox, like business valuation principles to it. You know, yeah, like you can even quote like, like Ether value as like a multiple of, you know, gas fees, um, you know, as determined whether it's rich or cheap on a fundamental basis, um, which you can't do with Bitcoin. But then at the same time, I don't think you can do that with gold. Like, like gold doesn't generate any, any income. Um, uh, uh, so like in order to like, um, give a, like economic analysis of gold or a lot of other commodities, but gold's the interesting one, cause it's sort of got some monetary value to it. Um, you, um, you've got to kind of think more like a Bitcoiner <laughs> and I don't, I don't think those like, I don't think that's like, um, there's like sort of traditional versus new, um, uh, like I think it's all like just just finance and economics like it, it's just applying the right like um the right the right model and framework for 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 the problem um and uh i i've, I've never seen like anything in crypto like um which is a new and amazing exciting space and um uh, but like the the underlying kind of economic principles and financial principles um apply like, like they're, they're they're not they're not, they don't change because of, 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 of technology. So in a sense, like, like, and this might sound really boring, but like, I actually don't think there's anything that new in the, in the economics of, uh, of the blockchain space, stable coins or otherwise. It's like the new stuff is actually like figuring out how to apply the universal stuff that always holds to the particular case, which isn't always obvious. Like, 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 like they're, they're kind of problems that are quite hard to get your head around. But like, once you get your head around it, it's like, it sort of demystifies it. And you're like, oh, this is kind of like valuing an equity, or this is kind of like, like bond, or this is kind of like forward rate agreement. Like they're, um, they're, they're all kind of the same, the same, uh, the same analysis um, applied to, to just a new context. It, it, at least that's how that's how I, I I see it, and I haven't 
seen anything yet that leads me to think there's like some kind of new underlying economics to um, to to the space. Yeah, I mean, what you guys are basically saying is, I mean, what, what one thing that really stuck out to me, what both of you are saying is like, especially about Bitcoin is like, even though like the mechanics and business sense of it don't really make sense, like why does it have value the way it does? What it really comes down to is faith, honestly, and belief that it does have value, whether it's Bitcoin or stablecoin or something else. And so that leads me to my next question for either of you. Um, what do you think the keys are to, um, you know, installing that faith like early on and like how does like whether it be a state well i guess we'll talk about specifically stable coins like how do stable coins like get adoption you know from the start because it's like really hard uh to begin with but like once it starts getting that network effect it's more like just a snowball that just goes so um any any of you guys can jump in i have one sure you for sam um yeah sam <laughs> you can jump in yeah so this is actually an interesting thing because when what we've done with Frax with this dynamic clatter ratio of like, you know, partly, uh, you know, algorithmic supply, partly backed by hard assets and, and other stable coins and, and uh, loans and, and things like CDPs and stuff is that we've, we've realized actually um, you can quantify what you're saying in terms of faith and belief. Uh, because all of Frax is on-chain, right? And all of the assets held are, are on-chain and smart contracts. And uh, the whole thing is, is meant to be non-custodial, right? And for example, when you say faith or, or belief, one way that we look at Frax's total state, right? The entire state of the circulating supply, the addresses that own it, where it is and, and stuff. You can, for example, see exactly how much debt is denominated in Frax on like Aave or Compound. For example, you could see there's, okay, 100 million Frax deposited there, you know, half of it's borrowed. So there's $50 million of debt denominated in it. But then actually that borrow literally got deposited right back into Aave and then someone else borrowed that 50 million. So now there's actually 100 million of debt uh, denominated in it. And it's like a 2x turnover. That debt has to be repaid eventually, right? So that represents 100 million uh, fracks of demand, right, at, at, at some uh, uh, market value of the collateral. And you can, for example, see other places where Frax is integrated in locked liquidity, like we also have uh, locked liquidity uh, gauges and, and farms, other protocols do as well. So there's literally Frax that is being market made locked in smart contracts, right? Like the, that Frax cannot actually be uh, pulled out at will by, by anyone. Uh, and you can see how long it's locked up, right? And so these are basically just mathematical ways to say, you know, these are integrations, right? These are integrations that you can rely on in the total current state of Frax's economy because it's all on chain. And then you can do an analysis and say, okay, given that there's, you know, $100 million of Frax debt, uh, and that has to be repaid, you know, uh, and it's backed by loan, loan collateral, given that there's, you know, $200 million uh, of Frax in, in locked liquidity for at least 12 months, all of that implies, for example, that you can have 11% of the current Frax supply be algorithmic because it's integrated and it's uh, it, there, there's no possible way that there could be a bank run or insolvency, you know, in, in classical terms, where enough frax has to be redeemed from the protocol's collateral and, and liability uh, reserves, right? That basically allows the protocol to expand slightly the money supply, right? Given the 
the actual on-chain outlook. And this wasn't possible uh, with like Terra because they did a lot of stuff with market makers and off-chain centralized exchanges and stuff. It actually looked more like uh, the Federal Reserve, which doesn't have like a complete uh, programmatic view of every transaction in the economy, right? Like what they do is they raise the rates and then they say, oh, okay, what happened to inflation? Did the CPI report, you know, did inflation go down this month? Oh crap, it didn't. So let's raise the rates again. This looks bad or something, right? But if the if the Fed actually had the way that we look at FRAX, they can say, okay, um, all, you know, dollars are here and here and here. And, you know, they're going to be spent on oil or, or this and that. And we have to raise rates now and then we can bring them back later and stuff like that. So we can do that with Frax. And that's part of the reason why we've always held the perfect peg. One thing we're really proud of is that, you know, Frax has never actually broken its peg in its 17 months of existence. And so the, the important thing is like you can quantify now the actual belief or the faith or the integration uh, uh, of the currency in, in the economy, which I think is a really important thing to consider if you're designing a stable coin. Yeah. yeah. No, I, mean, I think it's one of the most exciting things about like the space is that like the, the ability to, um, to, to quantify the stuff empirically in real time, um, uh, like, uh, gives you insight into, uh, how the system works that you, you just do not have in the current economic system. And, and it also opens up opportunities to like, um, uh, like target certain types of demand, um, you know, certain patterns of use cases that, that, that drive the demand that you want um, and uh, create incentives to discourage the types of demand you don't want. Right? Uh, um, and, and I think that's, that's like a, like a really under, like a, like appreciated part of the, of the problem is the demand side of the equation. Cause a lot of uh, attention is placed on like the mechanism for changing the supply, the way the collateral, you know, works, but like, um, like the, like what the demand is in your system is really key. And, um, and, and to your question of like, how do you get it, like adoption behind that? Like, I don't know, it depends on the, the, the case. Um, but, um, but I think, uh, but I think, to answer a slightly different question, I think the um, the uh, it's not just adoption you want. You know, we, we see you know there was a lot of adoption in Terra's anchor protocol. Um, that uh, that wasn't that wasn't particularly great. Um, like like you like you want demand. You know, in a stablecoin that's got a certain character to it. Like it's quite sticky. Um, there are use cases that are creating value for the, the transacting parties. So, you know, they're going to continue to trade um, as opposed to like it's creating value for somebody today, but it's going to come from the wallets of somebody tomorrow because it's Ponzi like, you know, like you don't want that kind of demand. That's not going to that's not going to make a sustainable system. So, um, uh, so so finding like the, the use cases that have the characteristics that make it possible for the stable coin to accommodate the volatility in that demand and um and the, and those use cases being like sticky in nature because that's really where the like the, the network effect comes from it doesn't come from the stable coin itself it comes from uh you know ecosystem of composable use cases that are like high quality high quality in the sense that they they create value for its users um and uh um and they're quite sticky because they're composable uh and robert yeah, actually, like you just made me think of a, another question um, that just popped in my head. Um, uh, if you had a critique of Frax, what would it be? 
Um, and it, but yeah, what, what would it be? <clears throat> Have you like thought about that at all? Or is it like, uh, this is like how a stable coin should be implemented. No, I, I, I don't have any fundamental critique of, of Frax. Um, uh, um, and like any, um, you know, like critiques I have of like the, um, like the seniorage piece of it. Um, like I think uh, um, Frax is like far less exposed to that, um, like, like those, those problems than, than, than you know, than, than, than other, other projects. Um, so, um, so no, I mean, I, there, there, there's some, like, some things I'd like to understand better in Frax. Um, uh, well, what would they be? I'll, I'll follow offline to say about them. They're related to the, like, the, like the redemption, like, like mechanics and, uh, um, and some things around that, but, um, yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah. And, and I also think like the, the most common uh i think from a philosophical perspective i mean just like the the peg obviously speaks for itself and now there's you know a lot of lindy effect around the fact that everyone's seen like okay this thing uh you know has uh been battle tested in pretty much uh as as difficult of times that you know people have seen in, in recent memory and, and like for years in in crypto this past month has been probably up there in one of the harshest climates, both macro and crypto. But I think one of the more common uh, critiques, which isn't, you know, unique to Frax, but is, is indeed a uh, cri criticism of even DAI and, and other stable coins, is that are all stable coins just baskets of other stable coins predominantly, right? Like, like Frax does have a lot of protocol-owned liquidity against USDC, and, and DAI as well, right? And, and DAI is famously like 70%, 60-something uh, fiat coin. And, and USDC, it gets this this joke of, you know, it's, 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 they're all just wrapped USDC. And then under underneath USDC is all treasuries, which are very safe, but like so that they're just wrapped dollars as well. And is the only real way to uh, get very high uh, parity performance against the dollar peg, just is it turtles all the way down, right? Is it just... Uh, Stable coin, stable coin, stable coin, T bills all, all the way down, and I think that's the you know general critique of uh, the on-chain stable coins. Right now, Frax and Dai are the two largest on-chain stable coins. They're the only decentralized non-fiat coins with over a billion dollars of of supply, and they both have um, somewhat substantive you know and, and true exposure to uh, fiat coins. Right, Frax has a lot of its protocol and liquidity. On curve, um, it is immune to the to the blacklist uh, things that people say to uh, against USDC because USDC would have to blacklist curve as a protocol and like Uniswap and basically implode those protocols to you know hit you know Frax as USDC and, and those system contracts. But the critique is on point in the sense that you know if Maker didn't have USDC, if Frax had no exposure to USDC, and and it was just you know. Uh, Ethereum or Bitcoin or something, uh, could it have had this perfect peg performance? And I don't know. That 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 I think is a is a question that you know criti critique uh, critics are still you know posing. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, like I kind of agree with that. I mean, and it's not unique to Frax, as you said. Um, uh, but um, uh, I, I think we might be able to like, re like re rephrase the critique in a slightly like different way too, or more general way, which is like, it's not just the turtles all the way down to USDC um, uh, story. It's like, 
it's also the um the like the tight coupling of the like the collateral pool um with the protocol itself which inevitably like involves like a governance dimension to the protocol um and like it would be really nice if you could decouple those things like it'd be it'd be really nice if you could have like the like the collateral that's backing the stable coin be um you know be something like ether um uh, only or an endogenous collateral and uh, and and have like the system grow um in supply outside of the protocol like you see in lending protocols like compound and ave where you you know you can you can get a money multiplier effect um uh, which is, is kind of like like stable coins kind of like a lending protocol in a sense um uh, you know where um like different types of collateral can be used um to um uh, not mint new coin but to um to, to borrow new coin from from lenders and uh and it to be truly decentralized because like it's external to the stablecoin protocol so you don't have this kind of scenario where where for the stablecoin to grow um uh we need to grow the collateral pool um and that's a centralized like a logically centralized decision with the stablecoin protocol and i've never liked that like i've, I've never liked the like the the idea that um we've got to use governance to like uh make the decision of like which you know like which which collaterals are okay and which ones are not um but that's like uh that's not really a criticism it's just more of a like an appreciation of the trade-offs involved and like a vision that it would be nice not to to choose that trade-off space so um that leads me to another question to sam so yeah fraxland coming out pretty soon um with robert saying about lending protocols um how do you um, take that into account with like Fraxland and like how Fraxland can be utilized to basically help proliferate Frax? Yeah, so with Fraxland, it's an isolated lending market uh, with very customizable, uh, we call them like on-chain term sheets, which is you can modulate the, you know, interest rate model and, and uh, the collateral type as Robert says. And then once you deploy it, it's, uh, it's automated and, and it goes, right? So imagine if you had, you know, your own instances of uh, the compound protocol, but like one asset and, and terms against like FRAX borrowing, right? Like, and, and you're able to basically create uh, FRAX uh, debt, right? And so this is really important because it's basically like a CDP engine, right? It's like you, you can either have uh, governance set these parameters once, deploy this, and then um lend frax on the other side that people can can borrow or anyone can become a frax lender if they go get frax and deposit it into the lending side of each specific uh frax lend pair right and so this is going to be a really unique way to do debt denomination increase uh the frax supply like robert was saying the, the the money effect so to speak right anyone can become a lender the protocol itself can become a lender you set the, the term sheet, so to speak, of a, of a Frax Lend pair on chain, and then you you let it go, right? And, and so it you know, does the automated liquidations with the, the on-chain uh, Oracle and, and things like that. You can um, deploy new ones. Anyone can, can deploy new ones. It's just that uh, getting the lenders from either the protocol or other Frax uh, holders is a free market decision, right? Yeah. And so that's going to be really cool. Yeah, that's 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 definitely the future. <laughs> Got excited. <laughs> yeah, and with first. like you know, yeah. and with like yeah. everything happened like with this last two weeks or so from 
three AC to Celsius and now Voyager, like all this kind of CD5, completely opaque um, transactions is going to be completely abstracted away with Fraxland, where everything is transparent on chain. You know who the counterparty risks are. You could completely assess the, like the health of this counterparty because you literally see everything that, that they're holding. And that's why I feel so bullish on um, this on-chain transparency is in traditional finance, you have a prime broker to kind of take care of all of this for you, right? To really give you this specific parties as health. But we don't have that in crypto, and maybe that's a good thing. And so it's really relying on products like FraxLend to drive that next level of uh, transparency and health for the whole ecosystem. But now, Frax's AMO relies on all of the other DeFi products, right? From Aave to Compound to especially Curve. And do you think that is healthy for a stablecoin protocol like Frax to rely on other protocols or should they build everything in-house? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So we, uh, we have these things called AMOs, which are called algorithmic market operation uh, modules, which they're essentially smart contracts with, you know, pre-programmatic market operations that uh, either expand the supply of Frax or contract the supply of Frax from a specific protocol um, and they burn it based on, you know, the, the price, right, and, and the, the market conditions that it's trying to stabilize. So there's really obvious ones, which is like if you have a lending AMO into Aave, you, you mint, you know, fresh unbacked Frax into Aave for the protocol and people can can borrow that Frax. Obviously, they put up collateral inside of Aave in, in terms of uh, backing it before they can take it out into the market. There's also other AMO contracts like the, the Curve one and, and uh, Uniswap, where the protocol basically expands uh, Frax supply into a Curve pool. If a lot of people buy, you know, Curve uh, the, on, they buy Frax on Curve, and, you know, Frax price on Curve is higher than a dollar, well, that's super easy to fix, right? You just mint more Frax into the Curve pool uh, against the other stablecoin and bring the price uh, back to, to the peg. And then you earn yield on the LP tokens you got because you just deposit a bunch of Frax into, into Curve, right? And then the opposite is true. Uh, if a bunch of people are selling Frax into the Curve pool for, for stablecoins, then the AMO takes the LP tokens it had during times of expansion, right? It redeems from the curve pool as much as it can to rebalance it uh, back to peg as much as possible. Um, and so these kind of strategies, they're essentially just market operations, right? Uh, coded in smart contracts and, and they, they basically run, right? You can periodically either poke them or they, they run by themselves and then they do the accounting on chain. So like if you actually, you know, you could read the smart contract, what's the current value it controls or like how much uh, collateral value it has or it can contract and it, uh, it does all the accounting on-chain transparently and, and everything is uh, reported in, in the AMO contracts. I think they're a really big innovation. So we, we actually came up with this in 2021 uh, to build out part of like Frax's uh, algorithmic supply, right? And, and like the, the only way Frax's algorithmic supply uh, can increase shouldn't necessarily just be from the signage uh, share component, it could be in these uh, programmatic smart contracts, right? And I think that's one of the innovations we uh, 
we pushed out first. And it's actually cool to see that Maker also has basically been uh, been doing some of these similar ones. Like they have the die direct deposit module. If, if yeah. so. If you guys are familiar with that, it basically does the exact same thing as a lending ammo. Um, I think they deployed it uh, about six, seven months after ours went live, and it just mints die into Ave, um, targets some either ceiling or interest rate, and then it you know contracts the supply of die to hit the um, interest rate or withdraws it if they change the ceiling of it through governance. So it's literally the same thing. And I think Maker doing this shows that we were right on with, with some of these AMO designs and, and market operation strategies. I think more stable coins will realize some of these coded market operations are pretty crucial, especially in blue chip uh, DeFi protocols like Aave, like Compound and, and stuff. Got it. Do you think Frax would actually build its own kind of, uh, uh, you know, curve, curve AMO would no longer be a thing. It would just be like, you know, frac swap AMO that would protect all this liquidity. Or do you think frac still needs to kind of be integrated with the ecosystem at large? Yeah, I mean, we've always been really positive, some players in terms of like, mm -hmm. uh, making sure that we're really building with the most important DeFi protocols. So I don't think we're ever going to like, pull anything out in terms of the AMOs that have been deployed already. But you're you're getting at a really good uh, vision that, that I sometimes pitch is like what I call the, the Trinity stack of, of DeFi, which is everything in, in DeFi that I've seen when you abstract it away is lending, liquidity, and uh, currency, right? Or, yeah. or stable coins, right? Everything's just a variation of, of that stuff, yep. right? You either need an, an AMM if you want the liquidity to be on chain and decentralized, and then you need a lending uh, facility if you want the lending leverage, you know, stuff to be on chain and, and decentralized, and you need a decentralized stable coin, right? And so I call this the Trinity stack, which is every layer of financialization on chain requires those three things. And, and very few, if any, projects actually have that total trinity. If you think about it, MakerDAO is kind of uh, two of those, right? They have mm -hmm. they have the lending, right? They have their CDP system and they have their own stablecoin, which they build the network effect around. And, you know, the, you have this money multiplier idea that they're the issuer of, of DAI and the, the sole entity that can mint DAI. You have Compound, which is, you know, an Aave that have huge lending facilities. They don't have their own stablecoin. There's no uh, Aave USD or, or Compound USD. Um, and then none of them have an AMM, right, for, for their own infrastructure, for their own protocol controlled liquidity or, or things like that. And we recently launched FraxSwap, right? So this is our, um, you know, AMM component. And like you uh, are noticing, we're launching FraxLens soon. And each of these uh, pieces of like this uh, Trinity has unique features. We're not just launching, you know, a Curve or Uniswap fork, you know, FraxSwap has some really unique uh, TWAM tech and, and we're working on some really awesome concentrated range uh, designs and, and things like that that no one's ever seen for, for FraxSwap v2. And I think that a stablecoin issuer, essentially a, a central bank-like entity that can actually have every piece of this stack can possibly be the one that addresses that trillion dollar kind of addressable market of, of stable coins that I was talking about. So that's kind of the, the grand vision. And, you know, we'll, we'll 
incrementally execute toward that. And we're every, you know, everything we do, we're thinking about how to kind of move the, the chess pieces, so to speak, on the board properly and, and methodically launch kind of feature and product after product that gets everything in, in place. So if we can execute that, uh, I think it'll be very, very huge. Yeah, when it, speaking about like just the timeline and history of Frax, when I explain it to people on how it's evolved, um, I like to say like V1 of Frax was just a simple like mint and redeem ARB against Uniswap or Compound. V2 was Frax using the protocols themselves to help maintain its peg, whether it's the Curve AMO, Lending AMO. And then V3 is Frax building its own financial primitives to keep its peg, whether it be FraxSwap and FraxLend. Um, and then like, as it evolves in the future, you're going to see, I, I assume, more advanced, uh, sophisticated financial products built on top of that. Um, but I want to actually bring it back to um, the Curve AMO, because right now you have a Frax base pool up for vote. And uh, you're speaking of chess. And I, I had this epiphany the other day when I was speaking to my friend. Um, I feel like everybody was thinking about like winning the Curve War or Convex War was about like who can get like the most tokens or who can like, you know, get the most emissions. But it really wasn't about that. I think like what the Curve War was about is like who can integrate with Curve on a protocol level. And like that's how you actually like, quote unquote, win the Curve Pool. And, uh, you know, if all goes well and, and I think it will, if Frax, you know, the Frax baseball passes, then that's it. Then like, that's the game. Like, like then you won, like basically, like you took like a very important step in winning. Then you have to like get other stable coins to, um, you know, adopt, which I think I'm more than confident, more than confident you guys can. So like, speaking of like the Frax baseball, is that like how like you were thinking when, um, when you were like, just like this whole evolution? Like, cause you, I mean, Frax was like the first one to be on like Curve Wars, first one to be on Convex Wars. So like, what was your thinking there? Is that like, is that like a right sentiment that I was just saying? Yeah, I mean, well, the work is never done, so I don't think we'll, we'll yeah. ever, you know, win quote, quote, uh, the this this chess game. It's always uh, the the next move. But like Robert was saying, best it's it's the money multiplier effect, whether it's in in debt denomination or being a liquidity locus against you know other stable coins against other tokens. Liquidity begets liquidity, and and more more debt denomination. Uh, you know, gets your stablecoin being the unit of account. So we're trying to do these things methodically with a with a long term perspective. So the Frax base pool is a way for other stablecoin projects to essentially have their liquidity against Frax and USDC. It's just a dual pool of Frax and USDC, and it provides you know deep liquidity there, and they can pair all their their curve deep liquidity against. Uh, the Frax base pool, that is really important to get kind of the shelling point of Frax being really, really liquid against everything else, right? And from there, you can continue to increase debt denomination. And the, it's, it's all about the three kind of uses of money, right? Store of value, uh, unit of account, and medium of exchange. And so you have to make sure that you're slowly becoming the, the shelling point of each of those things, right? And so dollar stable coins, they already kind of have the, uh, you know, the, you know, medium of exchange and, and unit of account. And you kind of are also getting the benefit of kind of being the store of value in terms of stable unit, but you have to be able to do that all on chain as well. So that's kind of where our strategy is, uh, is, is taking us. 
Yeah, with the frack space pool, um, you know, I listened to your market capping interview like a few times just to like try to understand and absorb it in my head. And so like before with the three pool, it would just be frax and three pool and then other stable coins like MIM and three pool and whoever else in three pool. And it was very zero sum. Everybody was, you know, pitching vote incentives um, to try to get the emissions. But with frax space pool, there's no frax and three pool. It's just two pool. And it can just be two pool and whatever stablecoin wants to pair with it. And the emissions that Frax would have gotten in that, you know, zero sum game, you're just passing on to the protocol because you're already like your mission's already accomplished there. I'm, um, it's like, you know, like you said, you know, expanding the denomination of Frax. Um, did I ex did I explain that right? I'm just making sure that I understand that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's exactly right. And uh, okay. if we can execute it, I think it'll be it'll be massive. Yeah, yeah. I, I see it not just with like other stable coins, right? You could pair it with other unstable assets as well. There's there's kind of you know no reason to only hold yourself to stable coins, right, Sam? Right, and and that's that's where frac swap and curve volatile pools and all this stuff comes in because as money, the most important thing is you have liquidity against every useful asset. So when people hold fracs, they can easily exchange it at depth to ETH to BTC to all all this. Uh, other stuff, right? And so the more liquidity, right, as, as Robert was saying, the more money multiplier effect you can have through the entire economy. Got it. Yeah, I actually have a, I have a question uh, for, for Robert in terms of what's, uh, what's new in, in what you guys are doing? What's uh, next in terms of any any stablecoin research or, or like historical papers coming or, or views? Because uh, I think hopefully this podcast will get a lot of listeners to have renewed interest on uh, your previous work and, and also the OG signer chairs paper. Yeah, no, I mean, we, um, as I say, we as Clearmatics, the, the, the company, are a launch partner to um, uh, the very exciting kind of layer one project, which is still in stealth mode, um, but uh, uh, will come out of stealth uh, soon and um, uh, next well this summer. Uh, um, so I can talk more about it then. On the stablecoin research, yeah, I mean we've, we've we've done a lot of internal research, and we're gonna kind of coincide it with the project that's coming out of stealth. We're gonna be like uh, publishing and like kind of heavily kind of engaging with the stablecoin research uh, uh, research space again, which is something I like I regret like not having done over the last like uh, um, few years. Um, and it wasn't out of really choice. It's just bandwidth constraints, you know. Um, uh, so I'm really looking forward to um, like to, to um, you know, to, to be deep in the in the research space again. So, um, yeah. Yeah, please let us know if, if Frax can be helpful in any way in terms of either doing on-chain research, developing any AMOs and, and market operations, smart contracts, or just any mechanism design. We'd love to help. Yeah, no, no, thanks. And we, we, we will we'll definitely be in touch on that. Yeah, so Robert, with, um, you know, CBDCs coming out, you know, I mean, you moderated panels out for the, you know, the Bank of International Settlements. You're very much more in touch with that world, the world off-chain. Um, so, like, what is, like, their reaction to like all these experiments going on at, and like on like DeFi land, and um, do you see a world where like CBDCs are integrated into Curve and FraxSwap and like the wider like DeFi ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, on on the second part of the question, like um, 
I don't know. I, like I, I think it's um, I, I think I think there's I think there's a lot of um, uh, I think there's there's a lot of extrapolation that's being done about the CBDC space and it's actually very heterogeneous like it means something different um, uh, depending on the central bank and the project um, and there's uh, most of the stuff is still in research phase um, and I personally think it's kind of overhyped um, in, in in terms of where this stuff is going to go. Um, and a lot of it's going to follow what the Fed eventually does. And I'm pretty skeptical that the Fed is going to create a Fed dollar. Um, uh, so, but I could be wrong, you know, it's just speculation. Um, uh, in terms of the, like the research side in, in central banking, like I think the, I think the central banks have done a really good job in building the, research teams engaging with the community and like doing some pretty high quality, uh, you know, research in the space. Um, and it's getting better as uh, time progresses. So like, I, I think if in terms of it engaging, like, like seriously on, uh, the, you know, topics like what we're talking about here today, um, with the traditional world, I think like central banks are probably like one of the best places to engage, um, much more so than the private banking, you know, commercial banking community. Um, and, uh, and, and very different audience and, um, you know, from, from tech and, you know, West Coast tech, which is, uh, always looks at the financial stuff in a weird, different, weird and different way. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I th I'm really encouraged by the, um, like the quality of research and thinking that's happening in the central bank. So do you think these central banks are going to essentially run their own, you know, chain or have some kind of like federated chain in order to issue their token? Or would they use something like a public blockchain to do so? It depends on the project, really. And and uh, there are a lot of uncertainties around it. I mean, I think that the default model of like, like most projects is is some kind of uh, um, private architecture or and not all CBDCs are even around decentralized architecture, you know, so kind of ponder that. Um, uh, the um, uh, um, oh, or or some kind of federated, you know, um, you know, permissioned, you know, governed chain. But like, but the but the, the prospect of a of a central bank liability being on a public chain is is not like this. Certainly, like things people have talked about, um, and it's not out of the realm of, um, of of possibility. I think one of the things that like in the blockchain community we should be thinking about is like an interesting thought experiment is like well what if they do that like what are the implications like what are the implications of a of a fed coin you know or an ecb you know euro coin um uh on say the ethereum mainnet is that a good thing i mean what do you guys think i can tell you my opinion but i'm curious more curious to hear yours i think it's more stable coin bull meme accounts <laughs> 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 yeah. But, yeah but um i yeah actually i don't think um like we have thought about it that much uh in the community i know there's been you know, i haven't heard anything um we kind of view it as you know a pipe dream in a sense um so right now it's like hard to imagine like if like the federal reserve issued dollars straight on the chain like that that's pretty crazy and what will lead to that like I, it's hard to see what the ramifications of that would be. Um, Sam, like, what do you think the ramifications of that would be? Well, I, 
I personally am, am not extremely bullish on CBDCs coming out in, in scale anytime soon, just because we all know how governments work, right? It's like, like I think the, the Fedwire system was supposed to be updated to like a new settlement rail technology like years ago. And now it's like just settling dollar wires on, on the Fed master account level is like slated to be released, quote, quote, 2026. It's like, okay, uh, 2026. I don't even know what crypto will look like by then, right? And so I think what's really probably going to emerge is this kind of quasi-private market innovation, uh, you know, with with a good regulatory framework, which seems like USDC is kind of in, in, the, in the lead there in terms of closest thing to a dollar CBDC. But then people ask, okay, so what is, you know, DAI or Frax's, you know, uh, unique value proposition in that sense? And it's like, well, it's a separation of strengths and, and concerns, right? We have extremely good bleeding edge tech, smart contract development, like I said, the, the, the DeFi Trinity stack that we're building. Circle's never gonna be able to do that, right? And then so like they, they're working in another stack, right? The, the quasi-Fed regulatory uh, traditional stack to make sure that their offering is compliant and as, as like, as essentially as, as close to, you know, tokenized treasuries or, or dollars on chain as, as possible. And Frax and Maker, for example, are the tech stack to expand that supply. That's how I, I think about it. In fact, Frax and, and Maker, for example, are doing extremely innovative work on, on blockchains, on smart contracts, on mechanism design, on expanding the, the money supply um, essentially on the, the DeFi level, right? And so in a certain sense, it's just as important as what USDC is doing. If USDC becomes like a quasi CBDC-like uh, thing in the next couple of years, I think Frax and, and DAI will become basically like, you know, the, the JP Morgans or, or like the, the, you know, Wells Fargo or Citibanks of, of like the, the on-chain world, so to speak. Um, I agree with Sam on that. I, mean, I, 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 I think I think the two, the custodial stable coins and the non-custodial ones, I think they they're really different requirements, and they um, and I think as time passes, um, those like requirements are going to start to bite, and very different kind of ecosystems are going to develop around um, uh, like around the two classes of coins. Um, they they won't be as similar and composable as they are today. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, uh, that's, that's how I see it. I think like the USDCs of the world will be like the coin for on-chain regulated DeFi and the decentralized ones will be for the kind of permissionless unregulated and they'll, they'll do different things and have different characteristics. Yeah. Uh, you go ahead, Kit, if you had a question. No, I would just... I was just thinking about, you know, we, we talked a lot about USDC and Tether, but we kind of ignore the third largest elephant in the room, which is, you know, BUSD. And Binance have you know, obviously their own chain as well. So if, if we kind of use Binance as a quasi central bank, if they were to come in, 
that is probably what it would look like. You know, they would have their own chain. It might, it may bridge over to ETH or, or anywhere else, and they'll have their own native uh, stable coin on there. And that's just how it's going to be ran. And, you know, it's worth a dollar because the, they say the worst, it's worth a dollar. <laughs> no if, ands, or buts. And I, I think that's probably going to be the most likely situation happening. That's a good point. And, I, and uh, you know, the, the Binance economy is huge. Right now, BUSD is kind of uh, rebranded, uh, wrapped Paxos, right? I think their, their custody mm-hmm. and, and their uh, off-chain tech is, is uh, Paxos. Um, but like you're saying, in fact, I like to sometimes uh, compare the Frax kind of eco- economy that we're building more like a, a, a decentralized version of, of Binance, right? If you look at the Binance economy, just like you said, they're a centralized exchange, right? So they have liquidity and order books, right? There's uh, liquidity and there's lending, right? They have leverage now and all, all this stuff, right? There's credit creation. They have DSC, which the, the Binance company itself doesn't you know, really do much of, but assuming you know they start doing things on chain, like you're saying, what does it look like? It kind of looks like the Trinity stack, right? It, it looks yep. like they have a, a currency issuance, they have liquidity, right? Like order book uh, liquidity in exchange, and then they have leverage, credit creation, lending, debt denomination. And I sometimes talk to uh, all the Frax core devs and all, the, all of our team and say, we're kind of building Binance, except we do not have any custody of any funds. All of the on uh, the, the products are decentralized smart contracts. We do not run an exchange. We run uh, a AMM protocol, right? We do not do centralized intervention or, or like leverage, or we don't call up account holders to margin call them or, or something like that. We don't know anything about our users other than their Ethereum address, right? And so there's a lot of similarities here. The, the similarities are that it's an economy, right? And, and its value is proportional to the value and, and the economic activity that's being generated and how much of the stack the, you, know, you, you basically control, right? And we're eventually, this is very, very far out, so I don't like to you know, uh, over-promise. Usually I do the opposite of under-promise and hopefully over-deliver, but you know, we are looking at a Frax roll-up or, or commonly called like a Frax chain down the line where if we can combine the whole Trinity stack, right? The final uh, point is to capture the value from the shared state of all of the economic activity and transactions that are going on, right? And so you'd have like a Frax roll-up where you know, having the FXS governance token, you can run either a sequencer or take part in consensus and capture some of the, the fees there that the, you know, economic transactions are generating. And so that's, that'll bring everything uh, closed loop and, and full picture. I am so glad you said that because that was like, <laughs> that is my full case for Frax and hearing it directly from the horse's mouth just sounded like s- such sweet gold. <laughs> <laughs> I, I usually don't like to, you know, hype things or do like too much stuff because it usually, you know, the the most important thing is for us to execute on on the vision, right? And if you try to hype it up and kind of get credit for it or, or something before you actually are able to do it, it it kind of you know defeats the point and kind of defeats the fun. But we're totally uh, seeing the the entire you know um, the journey and kind of like where it's supposed to come 
full circle. And in fact, if you think about it, I usually say this. I usually say Terra got it the reverse direction. If you look at what Terra did, they first had their L1, right? And then they first had their Terra chain. And they they basically were like, okay, um, this is where all of the Terra economy is going to go. And then they realized, okay, wait a minute. If our product is UST, we're going to have to get our money supply out to every other place that there is large economic activity, right? And in fact, they basically started going cross-chain really quickly, right? Because the, the Terra chain was fairly small in terms of substantive economic activity and they didn't want to miss out on stuff, right? If you want your money to be worth something, it has to be used in as much of you know economic activity as possible. So then they went out and they kind of were like, we got to get everywhere. We got to get on Ethereum, we got to get on L2s and stuff. We're doing it the reverse way. We're saying we have to be everywhere. Forget about having Frax chain or a Frax roll up or anything. There's no value in uh, block space or you know the the shared state ledger if there's very little shared state to actually capture value from, right? So first, let's build the entire thing, and then once block space is valuable, we can think of a Frax roll up or Frax chain. Amen to that. Um, yeah. I'm excited for the future to come, and um, I think like this is a great place to you know almost end it. I just have like one more question, like like the current state of like the market now, and just like the macro in general is like pretty unprecedented, um, and something that hasn't been seen in a long time. Um, and I'm just curious, like what your thought, what your guys' thoughts on like the current, you know. The current macro situation, how crypto relates to the current macro situation, because um, like my kind of view on it is like Bitcoin is already it's like pretty correlated with the traditional like institutional system um, already, but like DeFi and there are certain like things in DeFi aren't as much um, because it's just like so new and institutions don't have the same exposure to it. So, what's your guys' current view on the macro and like how like DeFi and stablecoins like relate to that and like do you think it will affect like its performance at all? I don't think it like has anything to do with the potential. I think we all agree, like we're all like stable, you know, huge stable goals here. Um, but like, what do you guys like both Sam and Robert, like what do you guys think of that? I'll, I'll let Robert take the full floor on this because he's the expert on on a high level stuff. So I'm really yeah. interested to hear this. Yeah, no, no, no expert. Amazing. Um, uh, certainly not seeing the future, but yeah, I mean, the, the macro environment is, is awful. Um, and like, uh, even if you take the, the the kind of base case uh, that like like the consensus, um, you know, with the twos tens yield curve that flat is kind of telling you that interest rates Fed's going to hike to like three to three and a half percent, you know, by the end of the year or the next year, and we'll get a recession and then inflation will come under control. Um, like uh, like the combination of like where we are today and that scenario is like really bad for risky assets. Um, uh, and I think if that scenario turns out to be wrong and the, um, the inflation that we're seeing um, is going to get worse and gets baked into people's expectations and it's like the 1970s all over again. Um, uh, then that's that's going to be a really kind of tough place for um, well everything. But including crypto, because like one of the undertold like stories, I think, you know, since, you know, the last 10 years in crypto has been like the role of like super low, unnormally um, unhealthily low interest rates and expansionary monetary policy and growth and central bank balance sheets since the great financial crisis. Like 
like that's played a big story in crypto valuations and it's played a big story in like the design of these protocols which basically like most of them kind of assume like a background like you know dollarization and the interest rates like always low and stable uh, and like when that changes, um, uh, like it's going to change like kind of a lot of the, the the assumptions that people make around how to design these protocols. And like I think what's gonna what we'll see is valuations in in like protocol valuations, whether layer one or layer two projects, will get more real. Like they'll be more focused on like like what's the actual volume of activity and like value capture, value creation, value capture that's. Um, that that's happening in these protocols. So I think the valuations get more realistic, um, and I think the um, there'll be more focus, like on the use case side. I think we more focus on um, like use cases that are um, like solving real problems and allowing you to trade like like real risks outside of crypto assets. Um, like a lot of the, the kind of raw speculation will um, uh, will will it'll always be there, but it'll be different. It won't, it won't be the it won't be the um, it, it won't be the raison d'etre of like activity in the space, which uh, is largely the case. Um, uh, and I think it's all po that's all really positive stuff. Um, the silver lining in it all is that the um, like uh, the, the the value creation that comes from real use cases in in DeFi um, uh, um, will make it last. Um, so that's 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 my that's my summary for what it's what that's worth yeah really well said basically those uh orthodox views will probably come into analyzing crypto valuations more right like real world things cash flows things like that which is how we started this conversation yeah. so yeah. totally agree. I, I think yeah. they will and i think we should welcome it like uh, like like reality so <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like like let's do it um uh there's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it coming back down to earth <laughs> yeah. Well, yep. Wow. Well, this has been an incredible hour and a half. Um, I learned a lot, lots of really insightful conversation here. Um, and I think this is something like a lot of people will get a lot out of and like something like, like we can go back to in the years to come. Um, so like, honestly, thank you guys. This has been real special. Sam, Robert, thanks for coming on. Kit, always um, being a great co-host. And um yeah, we'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks. Really enjoyed it, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Wow. What an episode. I mean, I'm 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 just speechless right now, dude. Like <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> wow, mind blown. Mind blown. Um what do you think, man? Um my my head kind of hurts but in the best way possible uh, it's just like when you're like when you like lift weights like you literally like break down the muscle and that's how like new muscle forms it's like i feel like i like intellectually lifted weights in this conversation i had with both sam and robert here and um i think like everyone who like made it all the way through the podcast and listens to this a few times is going to have that like same like breaking down and like building up of intellectual muscle tissue so um Definitely something real special. Yeah, dude. And, and the sheer amount of alpha, I was just getting, oh my like, God. punching the face with it, like, left and right. <laughs> I know but, you're going you know. to get some ice for all that alpha. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I need the ice for the alpha punches and also some ice for, you know, my sore brain right now, too. <laughs> so, you know, well, either way, this 
was the flywheel pod i hope you guys enjoyed it make sure you follow us on twitter and telegram at flywheel pod and make sure you follow and subscribe to us on youtube as well i am your co-host capital k you can find me on twitter at zero x capital underscore k and then my co-host dave and i am DeFi dave you can find me on twitter at dave said that underscore and we'll see you next time Peace.